This week on Coco Disaster, spooky, also ghosts. Hello, and welcome to the Halloween Spooktacular for Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway. I'm QB. We have a special guest. It's QB. Hey. Our magical girl, scholar, and friend of the show. I'm here to teach you about magical girls. That's right. So for this particular special episode, we have decided to talk about maybe the most frightening genre of anime out there, which of course is uh, dark, gritty magical girls. So the idea behind this show is going to be that QB is going to tell us about sort of the history of uh, darker themes in Magical Girl shows pre, during, and post uh, Madoka, even leading up to this current season, which has a number of shows that would fall into this genre. Every single show this season is a Magical Girl. You just haven't seen it yet. There are a lot, and depending on how far you want to extrapolate, you could probably get Magical Girls out of a lot of them, like Classicaloid. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to tell you about them real ass magical girls. Well, the first thing I want to do is like really is to like <laughs> uh, inform you guys about like the older magical girls that were slightly darker leading up to Madoka, because that, that seems like a, a kind of thing that people are not very informed about. So uh, I'm gonna start with the first, uh, probably the first uh, boys-oriented magical girl anime, Cutie Honey, um, from early '70s. Or something. Um, it was by Go Nagai. Um, the reason it's dark is because in the first, the, the initial premise of it is that Cutie Honey is a normal girl until she finds out her father has been murdered. Um, she's also a cyborg. Wait, what? That she finds those both things both out at the same time. Um, then she goes on a revenge mission to destroy the organization that killed him. So um, the circumstances of Cutie Honey's uh, creation, the slot it was in, kind of made it. It required it to be a shonen series and a magical girl series at the same time. So it became the first magical series marketed towards boys, which is why they added the new transformation, which became a... Yeah, is, is that why it's so sexy? Yeah, that's why the opening song is so sexy and talks about butts. Right. Um, overall, it's pretty lighthearted, though, even though she's on a mission of revenge to avenge her father's death. Um, where, where it really gets into more adult themes is a few years later with the, or the same year, with the Majoko Meguchan. And I have some interesting gifts that Trops is looking at right now. Yeah, okay, so I want to point out that you made me watch the first episode. It's the only episode that was ever translated. <laughs> and in the first episode, uh, the main character almost dies of hypothermia. <laughs> yeah, after an intense wizard battle. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about this. Um... As a whole, it's mostly about the adventures of a witch who comes to live on Earth with an adoptive family like every single other magical girl around that time except for Cutie Honey. And there's also something about a battle for the witch throne. But the first thing you notice when you start the episode is the really crazy Looney Tunes slapstick. It's it's very slapstick. Yeah, the, the opening shot is Megu-chan falling into a plane. And then her underwear ends up on in front of the pilot. And, and then she falls on a cop. Yeah. But she doesn't get hurt. Yeah, no, but she causes a huge car pileup. And then at some point she, like, gets hit by a bull and a baseball bat. 
she is uh, hit a lot for comedic purposes. Um, it's not quite as fanservice-y as Cutie Honey, but it definitely has a lot of like weird voyeuristic fanservice. But also, like this is one of the first shows that ever did fanservice. It's interesting because like these like initial like more adult Magical Girl anime kind of came hand in hand with fan service. <laughs> um, but the thing is, Majoku Megu-chan, besides that, also deals with uh, domestic violence, suicide, substance abuse, extramarital relationships, and is one of the first shoujo series at all to, could, to seriously confront mortality with its main character. Yeah, like, this episode also definitely has a part where, like, the father that she's, like, joining hits their child. Like, there's... There's some dark shit in there where otherwise it'd be, like, some slapstick stuff that they do a lot of. Like, violence seems like a weird thing if you're gonna try to go both sides of it. It... it this was an awkward decade. <laughs> um, so most... So, the main takeaway from this decade is that, um, it wasn't that dark, but when they did more... try to do more adult topics, it was because they were trying to kill the boys. Okay. Or just a broader audience than just girls. Right, it was particularly young girls. Um, uh, in the 80s, nothing really happened. Magical Girls kind of stagnated, because Naruto Studio made, like, eight of them. And they were all, like, super long, right? They are all, like, 50 episodes. It pretty much established what Magical Girls would be for the next decade, and that wasn't dark. Okay. So, in the 90s, a Magical Girl anime came out called Sailor Moon. And most of you know about Sailor Moon. It's, uh, like, it introduced, like, the whole Sentai team fighting evil. Um, some people say that it's the first, uh, Magical Girl anime where they actually fought evil, which is not true, but more, she might as well be. Okay. It's the only one anyone knows about. Um, even though the series isn't particularly violent, um, it actually has a lot of, uh, more gory elements, because the creator, Naoko Takuchi, has said in interviews she loves to draw corpses. And you've put a picture in here, because that's not a thing that pops up in the anime, particularly, because that's, it's much more of a goofier sort of story, um, um, focusing yeah. a lot more on, like, a Monster of the Week sort of thing. But I'll put this picture in the video, because it's important. It is a very, very detailed picture of several corpses from the manga. Uh, there's, there's this one picture I really wanted to get. I wonder, uh, if you if you have it, you just send it to me. It's, like, a, a Sailor Moon, like, screaming, and her face is a skull. I don't know. It's from the manga, though, obviously. Didn't I thought I also heard maybe from you that they that the author said something about I I also really like to kill my characters off. Uh, she said that the re she wanted the reason the Sailor Scouts die so often in Sailor Moon, which is a thing that happens. Also, one thing that the anime glosses over is because she wanted to kill them off, but her edit but her editors made him made her bring them back. <laughs> Because, and that's kind like, of amazing. Because, because they have the toy line and everything, and so they couldn't exactly kill them off. Right, you can't kill off characters and then try to introduce more, because that just makes it complicated. Uh, overall, it's still pretty comedic, though. Because it's still it's Sailor Moon. Um, mm -hmm. But also, uh, another interesting thing I saw was that uh, Ikuhara, the director who would go on to make Uten uh, Utena and Yuri Bearstorm, mm -hmm. um, he was directly inspired by his own uh, movie, the, Sa the Sailor Moon S movie. That he directed. Oh. It, huh. And that, that's where he got the idea for Utena. That's neat. Okay. Um, after that, um, Sailor Moon changed things, and people started making 
slightly different magical anime than the 80s. Um, and one of these was Nurse Angel Ririka SOS, which is kind of known in some circles as a pre-Madoka. Okay. Um, overall, it's it's just a lighthearted shoujo magical series about a middle schooler who deals with uh, magical problems and boy problems. As they do. But actually from... I haven't seen the whole thing. It actually is a fairly a little bit above average. But one of my friends really liked it and watched the entire series. And it has some uh, pretty um, dark twists and turns that involve like brainwashings and betrayals. And actually one of the one of the characters who's originally evil uh, defects and switch sides Okay. by the end of it. So it's actually a little bit more complex about like morality than usually see from Magical Girls around that time. Yeah. Or, okay. like, from the 80s. That bad decade. Um, but the reason they call it Free Madoka is because in the final episode, Ririko defeats the evil ultimate, fo- the ultimate evil force, but it, in its dying breath, it, like, spreads the thing that creates monsters all over the Earth and destroys, like, the, like, the Miracle Jewel or whatever, whatever the MacGuffin is. Mm-hmm. At the same time, which leaves uh, Ririka the uh, only one choice in order to save the Earth, which is to kill herself. Ah! So in the final episode, she says goodbye to everyone she cares about at her birthday party and saves Man, the Man, that's a hell of a way to go. Happy birthday, your present is death. And as far as I can tell, it it's, it's exactly as dark as it sounds. <laughs> Sweet. That, from how you described it ahead of time, it's like, oh, well, how does this have much or anything to do with Madoka? And oh, okay. Um, also, in the 90s, uh, we got Revolutionary Girl Lutena, which I have not finished, but I have heard a lot about its sexual themes, like the Rose Bride being an explicit, explicitly sexual thing, in, depending on uh, what ad- adaptation you're looking at. Um, implied incest, mm-hmm. s- some pretty obvious sexual assault. It's very heavy in its themes. Yeah, and also, like, it, it also was uh, really influential. Like, kind of like how Sailor Moon was influential about how Magical Rime would end up later. Uh, Utena kind of caused some other series to change. So it's not real. it's not just Madoka. Like, Utena led to, like, Yuri Bearstorm and, like, Penguin Drum. Even though those are the same director. But <laughs> well, yeah, always... I mean, that's the same director, so there's a little bit of a... But also, if you really think about it, Sailor uh, Star Driver is basically Utena. I think I get Star Driver and Buddy Complex confused when I think about them in my head. Um... Oh, that, that one's Star Driver. Okay, the one where he turns into the, the pretty boy uh, Prince Knight kind of guy. Yeah, the galactic pretty boy. Right, okay. That one is like... Depending on the way you look at it, it could be considered a magical girl, but it's not exactly there yet. Okay. I think I think that like if in a, in a couple of decades, if more Utena style magical girls become like the normal thing, um, Star Driver really could be considered one. Because he does have that transformation, and it's, it is magic. It is extremely girly. <laughs> the like the, those are the most girly mecha you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> um. So in the two thousands, we got. We started to get um, really male-oriented magical girl anime. So before we like we've had we've had them for a while. Like we had Cutie Honey, which was originally a shonen, but in the 2000s we got Nanoha, uh, magical girl lyrical Nanoha. Um, and there's some 
elements of it that make it really obviously for an older male audience. Um, and, and it's definitely a, a seinen, so it's for that audience. But uh, overall, it's it's still fairly like lighthearted, except for the, one of the main characters, Fate, and her relationship with her mother, which is absolutely horrible. Hmm. Uh, Fate is uh, is literally tortured by her abusive terrorist mother. Like she, oh. like she actually is like tied up and whipped, and it's not it's not pretty. Um, and also, Fate uh -huh. is a clone of her comatose daughter, and she considers Fate a mistake and refuses to acknowledge her, even after Fate, with everything she's done to her, forgives her. And she jumps into lava with her daughter's corpse rather than accept responsibility for her. And like Fate's lesson from that is just, like your mom never loved you at all. Uh, she gets a happy ending in the end because she finally finds a friend in Nanoha, but it's really dark. <laughs> You know, like, before learning about this, like, I was kind of cognizant of what Nanoho was, sort of. I always thought it was kind of more like a Slayer sort of thing and not what it is. It's also not as comedic as, like, other ones. It really, it starts to have, this is where you start to see, like, uh, more of an actual dark fantasy style of of uh, series out of Magical Girls. Um, I'm not sure about the other seasons, though. From what I hear, they're different. Yeah, it, they always seemed different. I I don't think they get quite as insane. <laughs> Speaking of insane, um, I also have Yuri Bearstorm as a dark magical girl anime from around about the 2000s because it includes um, regular elements of horror on an episodic basis. Mm -hmm. Also, it's a new tennis style seinen show with really, really overt lesbian themes. Um, girls get eaten by bears on screen and they die, and they're gone. So it it has it has like that kind of Danganronpa like which character is going to die this time, and it definitely like does sort of the the less is more sort of thing where you kind of just see like the aftermath of just like a, like a shoe hanging from somewhere or you know things like that to make it kind of more suspenseful in its horror than kind of shock. Well, it does have the shock. It has the bear shock. It does have yeah, it does have a bear shock. You're right. <laughs> um so it also has some very loose war-ish metaphors to represent the conflict between bears and humans, but that's a little that's a, that's not very dark. It's shown kind of comedically. Which brings us finally to Madoka. <laughs> so let's so outside of Yuri Bearstorm, which just doesn't really follow the trend that we're talking about. All of these previously were the the pre-Madoka timeline in Magical Girls, and now we've reached this one. Yeah, so here's the moment that most people would agree changed everything for Magical Girls. I wouldn't agree, but... And also all anime, and also uh, every media. It's a deconstruction. It's not. Um, so it started as like a slightly spooky, but mostly ki kind of normal Magical Little anime by Shaft, and had like kind of a lot of really weird elements, but it still was like mostly conventional about a middle schooler who meets, this, meets a mysterious transfer student, but the tone changes dramatically when a major character gets decapitated in the third episode. Pretty famously. And that's, I think, when a lot of people really paid attention to it, because that's that was sort of the one big thing that everyone was talking about when they talked about anime at the time. Yeah, because normally shows would like lead up to it, but it was just shown as just a completely random act of violence. And this of a character at her peak just 
straight up dying. This it showed that like magical girls weren't invincible in this in this world. Um, and it also shows that the mascot's plans, like even uh, were, and the nature of magical girls were revealed to be much more sinister than you previously thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going over like the broad strokes of Madoka that that get remembered by people. Um, and at the end, Madoka wishes to save all magical girls before they inevitably inevitably become witches, which undoes her own existence and kind of makes her god. It's a little weird. Um, the dark elements of Madoka are like corruption of wish of wishes. So like ha- having a having a making a wish and having a turn on you. Mm-hmm. Um, Homura's entire entire like story. <laughs> Because she's, I I haven't watched it, but I've got a lot of it through like you know uh, other people talking about it. The idea is that she's constantly in a time loop trying to save. She's Madoka, in a semi-infinite right? time loop where she watches her best friend die infinitely. Okay, but it, it's it's only se- semi-infinite because it's it's if she gives up, it ends. Okay. Also, it, uh, Homer has a lot of guns, so that's where magical girl guns could probably come from. Right. I can't. I can't really remember an example beforehand. And then there's the. And then there's the corruption of a main character as well that ends up leading to her death. Right, uh, Sayaka. Yep. Who turns into a witch? I have that written down under psychological breakdowns. Okay. So it all. So that those are like the elements of Madoka that people claim got repeated by a lot of imposters. And also remember a lot. Um, okay, so now this leads us to the Magical Girl series that were dark that came after Madoka and are accused of being inspired by it. Okay. Um, so we're going to start with the first one that was made, which is over two and a half years after Madoka, so not exactly, like, riding its coattails. It's been a while. Um, so for like two and a half years, no one really tried to make another Madoka, they just kept making more Madoka. Oh yeah, because it had a whole bunch of movies and spinoffs and... Okay, well this one's called Daybreak Illusion, or it's extremely long Japanese title and it's not worth remembering. Um, it's the first Madoka-inspired dark fantasy magical girl. Um, it has an enormous cast of characters because they're based on like the 20 different tarot cards. And they're all fighting okay. a cast of villains that are based on the evil tarot cards. <laughs> so it's got like 50 characters from the start. So you you can tell you can tell the cast is maybe a little bit disposable. Ah, uh, the evil tarot cards like a dark death. I think they call them like and the, dark, the, the Diablo fool. cards or something. Okay. Um, and right off the bat, it's like way darker and edgier than anything you've seen before. There's that violence, and betrayal, and there's a major character death in the first episode. Oh, that's how you know it's really getting. Heroine's fast. even younger. She's twelve. <laughs> um, but. The major criticism of it kind of starts at episode one, where like the, the major character death is of someone that you have no connection to at all. It's like it's like her best friend, but you, we've like just met her, and like they, mm-hmm. they focus way more on like her death than her character. We don't even really meet her, um, so it, it kind of keeps going along along those lines with like edgy stuff happening. And but the Madoka three episode three death twist is that if a demon of the same turret is destroyed, the magical girl of that turret ceases to exist at the same time. Okay. Which is, like, you know, the plot device that everyone's gonna die, probably. Right. But they, they kind of walk that back in the at the end. <laughs> okay. And she she kind of comes back, and it's a little lame. 
Um, but the reason you haven't heard about it, probably, um, is because it has some very gross se sexual elements involving the 12-year-old that I'm not going to talk about at all. Oh, oh. oh. Um, and also has to so just some unpleasant stuff, like magical girls being corrupted and transfigured into mindless wolf demons if they get, like, infected with the opposite tarot card. So this is definitely, like, going beyond just dark and going extremely into, like, edgy, sort of, like, shock horror kind of thing. It's trying way too hard. Yeah. That's, like, the consensus. And, and also it has, like, it, it just has the kind of gross character design where everyone's too thin. Yeah. Like, you can tell, you can tell what, what, uh, audience are trying to get from the art. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's like the worst Madoka ripoff, is how people would call it. So do we want to talk about that, uh, term yet? Uh, we can get to it later. Okay. Um, the next, uh, Madoka-inspired dark fantasy magical girl is, uh, Yuki Yuna is a hero. Which is available on Netflix, so if you want to watch it, uh, that's pretty easy. And sort of timely to this episode, it just got announced for a second season. That, I don't know how they're going to do that. Well, they, they say that I think half of it's supposed to be based on the prequel novels? Yeah, I don't I don't know what those are. And then apparently the rest of it's the ha other half's a sequel, so I don't know. Well, I mean, it didn't do badly. It's probably doing pretty well in America, because it's the, like, the only one of these available. It's the most accessible, yeah. Compared to Daybreak Illusion, it's a lot more subdued and deliberate. It's not trying as it's not being like way tryhard. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it chooses slightly different themes from Madoka. Um, like it has a theme of sacrifice, oddly, and a lot more focus on like physical suffering and disability and like disabilities. It, it actually has okay. a magical girl who's paraplegic. Right, but not in her magical girl state. Is that the idea? Uh, no, she actually still is paraplegic. She, okay. Like, she's like, she flies around and, like, acts like a sniper. Okay. It's act like, the, the stuff involving, like, her disability is actually handled really well. Which That's... is a shame that the rest of her character is kind of, like, the big titty character. I mean, you know, you know, little tiny steps where you can take them. Like, you, you almost did it, Japan. You're so close. At least they didn't treat it like, you know, oh, this is the disabled character like I think a lot of American media does. It's so weird that they didn't fetishize that, but they they still needed to fetishize her. The big hawker. Like, she's a middle schooler. It's still weird. Yeah, it's super weird. But, but like, it could have been worse, I guess. It certainly could have. Um, so, Yuki, let's... So, anything more about it? Oh, yeah. This is actually the most interesting... Um, uh, Madoka-inspired uh, magical girl anime. Okay. Um, because it has like the monsters of the week are like are another regular horror element like uh like Yuri Bearstorm, in that mm -hmm. like every week they keep doing it. It requires more sacrifice from them. And as okay. as the series goes on, they lose the ability to to like taste or hear things or speak. Okay. So like, and they learn much later. Like that this like this is the big twist is that they can't die. Oh, uh-huh. Like, via the Magical Girl stuff, or at all? Like, at all. Okay. Uh, also, it has an interesting an interesting take on, like, the whole fairies being sinister thing, where every time that they sacrifice, um, they get they get another fairy, and their magical, and their magical power increases. Okay. But, so, like, it means the more fairies you have, it means the more you've given up, mm. and the more disabled you become. 
but uh, it's interesting that the ultimate theme is more about like acceptance and like penance. So they're not. It's not like they're being tricked by this by the, like the force that's that's making them be magical girls and not able to die. It's that they just kind of have to accept it and go through it and go through it together. So it feels less like punishment, at least for the viewer. I guess it's it's, it's a it, it actually is kind of fascinating. Okay, but uh, like like I mentioned before, it kind of has this, a little bit of gross elements. It, they, these are middle school girls, and it has a beach episode and. Hmm. But it, it's it's a far cry above Daybreak Illusion. Sure. And probably better than the next one on the list, uh, Wickross. Yeah, so uh, I actually have watched more of Selector Infected Wickross than you have. But we'll talk about it anyway. I, I didn't make it past the first episode. I don't know, I stopped somewhere halfway through the first season. But, uh, okay, so I guess I'll do about this. So Wickross is a card game that, uh, particularly among uh, young girls, or high school girls, has become very popular. And some of the players get chosen by uh, special cards uh, to join a game, basically. And if they win enough in the game, they get their wishes granted. And if they lose three times, their wish is corrupted and basically does the worst possible opposite of it that they can. And that's kind of it! Yeah, so the reason I, I say it's comparable to Madoka, and like it, I think that the comparison to Madoka is actually why it qualifies as a magical girl at all. Because it has the theme of wishes turning on you, it has cute mascots hiding more sinister intentions, like the. like the. Uh, the little card little mascots. Character that, that deals battle, battle, battle all the time. Mm hmm. Um, psychological breakdowns, definitely. And at the, at the end of it, the heroine uses her wish to undo the premise of the show, so. Does that happen end of season two? I think so. Because season one, she's just like turns a different girl into a uh, into an avatar. Yeah. At the, the yeah, it, it basically pulls a Madoka. Okay. At the end. Um, and there's then there's also Maho Shoujo Naria girls, which stole Madoka's ending, but I'm not going to discuss it. <laughs> it's not worth discussing. No. Okay, so we talked about like all these, pretty pretty much just all the interesting examples of dark magical girl anime. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to ask you is, what like based off, off like all these like concrete examples, does that match with like the dark magical girl that people seem to think uh, exists? I think no matter. I think depending on who you ask, you're going to get a completely different answer. That's what that's, um, that's what I've gotten in my experience. Everyone has a completely different answer, and no one can really agree what they actually mean when they say dark magical girl. Because I think people focus on different things when they think of what it takes to be like inspired or cribbing off of Madoka. Because you're going to pull different themes depending on what you've seen or what you've heard or kind of what you take away from it. Yeah, but some some of the themes in Madoka were actually done earlier, and like like a like the, the idea of like something cute turning sinister was done in Alien Nine. It was done in Narutaru. Like the, these these shows existed before. I think it's specifically because a lot of people at the time, for sure, like always saw Magical Girls as something for children, and this is like the corruption of this sort of like childish fantasy. Yeah, but the saying that, like, th there's always been, like, these adult magical girl anime, or magical anime that tried to appeal to boys. 
Like, you have Magiko Megu-chan, which is doing crazy adult stuff at the same time as ridiculous slapstick. But Madoka is extremely uh, mainstream, at least for the modern anime audience, as compared to, say, Megu-chan. Yeah, but compared to Sailor Moon? <laughs> it's like, um, any any angle you look at it from, there's always a counterexample. Right, but I think a lot of people only see, uh, in, in this case, see Madoka for its dark theming in the particular way that it handles it, which is very much... Um, I think darker than a lot of what you'd see earlier, or at least in a different way, if you ask people about it. Yeah, that's de that definitely occurs. But I think that when people say do stuff like that, when they like look at look at a like a, a mascot or a cute animal character and say, "Oh, I hope this thing doesn't turn like Hubie," it's yeah, I but it's like they 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 usually bring up like all the examples of the stuff that ripped off Madoka, but. That kind of stuff doesn't really exist. I think Madoka also, just for being sort of having a, a more proper twist to it, like because it waits a few episodes to really get into that material, it's one of those things that sticks and it's like, oh, well now do we have to worry about these other shows coming out being similar to it in that it's going to have a twist sometime later where everything turns on its head. Well, the thing about that um, is that in order to like really have an effective twist, you have to like actually establish the characters and make you care about them first. Like the re the reason that uh, the episode episode three of Madoka was so effective was because like mommy was at the top of her game, like she like sh she felt invincible, and that's why that it, it was that time that she would she had to die in a completely random accident. And she's treated like a like a teacher character, like a you know someone who's supposed to be helping these people and supposed to be sort of on a different level. Yeah, but that's also what uh, Daybreak Illusion did very badly. Well, Daybreak Illusion, uh, from what you've said, it seems like uh, Episode 1 just kind of throws all its cards on the table, basically. <laughs> like, to, to say that, oh, if, if you kill someone on one side, it kills someone on the other side. Like, you've already sort of led up to, oh, we're totally willing to kill people by Episode 1, which loses some of its impact because you don't know the characters well enough for that. Yeah, that's... yeah. I was going to elaborate about Daybreak Illusion, but there's no reason ever to do that. <laughs> Actually, I had one one last thing to say. I think my definition of Dark Magical Girl is going to go off of the actual definition of darkness, which is like an absence of light. So, what, I, what, what to me, what a Dark Magical Girl means is something that is less lighthearted. Okay. Because Magical Girl is a really, like lighthearted genre it's 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 like usually for kids it's silly yeah so something that like totally goes in the reverse from that and tries not to be that is usually what they're what the, they mean by like a dark fantasy magical girl which does open up the genre a bit more than when people just think like uh madoka ripoff yep so that brings us to this season which is like three years after woodcross which is my last example of a dark magical girl and now we've got three of them. Well, two of them. Um, I, I think I'll... Can, can, can I talk about uh, Wickross first? Just because... Uh, before before we get to the big one. Yeah, sure. We'll talk about the new season of Wickross, which... Uh, new writer... And it, very different theming. It also has a new, completely pointless subtitle. Lost Orange or uh, something. Yeah, it's Lost Storage something Wickross. Um, okay, here's the thing. It's not really a Magical Girl anime. I was wrong. 
Okay. Um, the twist. Uh, okay. Well, it's it's about it's a, okay. It's I shouldn't have lead. Well, the, the twist. new one isn't. It's about um a game. It's about the Wicross game, which people play, and then they realize their cards are talking to them, and then they're put into a game where they where they have very high higher stakes than they bargained for. So um, the stakes in this in this season are um, their most precious memory. And they can, but this time they can actually bet that memory in the in the form of a coin. But if they, they they basically have like yeah coins that signify each of these particular memories. I think like ten is each ten each. I thought they had a specific number, but continue. Yeah, they're able to. They, they have five each, but they're able to um, bet the coin and do like some special thing that like influences the, influences the other person psychologically. Mm-hmm. Like the main character's coin bet ability is to make the opponent become honest, and they'll answer any question she asks. Mm-hmm. But it's just not great overall. <laughs> and the what happens when you lose your coins um, was very recently explained, and it's kind of lame. Okay. So before, like in Wicross, like your your wish would turn on itself, and then bad things would happen. And some descriptions that was like someone wishes that they can make more friends through this game, and so when they lose, anyone with the potential of becoming their friend like physically uh, hurts them when they come into contact. And that's a lot more more interesting than what we get in this season. If you lose all your coins, you lose your identity because because you lost all your memories basically, and you become a drone, which means the, the easiest way to explain it is you lose your soul. Okay. But card games about losing your soul with with that are overly complicated. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's not Magical Girl. That that's Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> but it's also much better. <laughs> yeah, so um, But I mean it's still important because it is uh it is a sequel to a thing that is uh at least vaguely magical girl and definitely Madoka. It's not really Madoka though, because it no longer has the wish the wish thing. No one's really broken down psychologically yet. Like it's a completely different style of like death. Yeah, I mean, based on the first one, you go in the second one expecting similar, but they've completely turned it on its head. But that might just be because it has a different writer. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot closer to Yu-Gi-Oh than Madoka now. So I've lost interest in it. <laughs> Damn. Maybe you should pick it up. Oh uh, well, maybe. Uh, I don't. I mean, I guess. I don't know, I just hear it overall as, like, a lot worse of a show than the original, which just is looks bad. bad. When I, just looks the bad. The first one, it, like, it just ended up being, like, ugh. Like, you, like you see the crowds and they're CG, and it's like, man, you didn't put any effort to this. Because I don't even think the first... Well, the first one didn't have crowds, so... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that's weird. That's weird. That Also, that they decided to reboot this anime. Because was Wixos, like, supremely popular? Kind of. Okay. I mean, it, it, it had a tie-in game, and that presumably did really well. The card game? Yeah. I thought that card game came first. I'm not positive. Probably. It's probably a Pokemon situation. This still is one of those weird things. Okay, so then we have the next show from this season, which uh, I watched specifically for this show, and whew, ooh, a Magical Girl Raising Project. Yeah. Which, uh from its description, really tries to set it off as some kind of, like, magical girl battle royale. Because the idea is that uh, they play this mobile game where they get to be magical girls, and uh, cer- certain lucky people get chosen to be real magical girls, and they can help people in the city, and, you know, 
and do all the great things that they wish they could with their one special power that they get. But then it turns out that there are too many of them. So the mascot character who... It's, it's Monokuma uh, crossed with Kyuubi. Yeah, it's basically just Mo- Monokuma from Danganronpa and has a terrible uh, speech impediment that ma- makes it all cutesy. Decides that, oh, every week now you guys are going to do good deeds for candy, which is basically just their currency, and whoever gets the least is going to die each week. And that's how they whittle down the Magical Girls. But it took like four episodes to get there. The problem with the show is that it's based on a light novel, but most of it, the problems with the show can be traced back to that. Because it is super long-winded. The pacing is abysmal. So we're four episodes in, and in episode four is when really anything happens. The pro- I, I really expected better from this studio. So we have a case of... So, like, because the, the first two episodes are sort of the, like, lead-up to the big twist. And then the entirety of episode three is explaining the twist. It's not even really a twist, though, because, like, the opening... I guess it's the, not. The it's... opening seconds of the anime are... <laughs> of just dead bodies everywhere. It's sort Yeah, you got a point. Because it's also got that sort of... I think Gaku Garashi issue where the advertising completely like spoils the big twist for it. Because it it directly says like, oh, this becomes a murderous battle for survival. Yeah, but at for, least in the description for got to it quickly, not like this. Yeah, no, but what I mean is like Gakurashi has the episode one has the episode one twist that just is spoiled by its advertising materials. This one, it takes three episodes to get there, and one entire episode is spent explaining it. I wonder how the light novel did it. Like, did it have... It, it probably did, honestly. Like The entire probably... first book is lead up, maybe. Uh, I don't know how else, because it's been going on for years now, so... There are eight volumes. Oh, I've had plenty of time to do whatever. There are eight full light novels of this thing. How far could it possibly be? I don't know. I don't know. And then episode four is kind of when things start, but it is definitely, like, it's certainly dark and got a lot of problems that a lot of the other shows, or at least some of the other shows post-Madoka we've talked about have issues with, which is, like, weird sexualized designs of characters that definitely look 12. Okay, the thing about that is that they're trying to do designs that aren't exactly Magical Girl, like from the like from the first episode, like she says, like, oh, that's not what I think of is a Magical Girl. About the witch character. Yeah, because there's the one that's like a, a, a dragoon with a sword. Um, but I think there's an underlying reason for why the designs are like that, and it's because this is a shonen show. Like, this this is yeah, so obviously, like, like every one of those other shows, you have every, all of the same art, character archetypes. Mm-hmm. They're just in a magical girl context now. And some of these characters are even adults, but uh, whenever they become magical girls, they are in, like, a 12-year-old body. And some of them are much younger, unfortunately. It's... it's just... This is disgusting. Um, but the thing is, this show is actually very popular, and I think that is that deserves... That, that, yeah, it is. It's very popular, and I think that deserves to be examined why, like, why it's what, catching on with a lot of people, despite its... Um, pacing problems and weak story and everything. And I think that it's right. the 
character designs and also the story that are do the the whole setting that are causing this. The you're right the 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 prospect of things uh to come. I mean I mean more like um so like put yourself in the shoes of someone who likes Naruto. Okay. Um you like this is this is this might be the first magical girl anime you try. This is the first time you've seen stuff like this. And put yourself in the shoes of like a magical girl watcher. Like this like they're this, this I've never seen these archetypes before. They're crazy. Uh-huh. Like that girl's an alcoholic. <laughs> Right. That, okay, that is the worst case of sort of like they're supposed to be adults, but they keep drawing them like twelve-year-olds. It's a real problem. Oh, it's great because she also has maybe the grossest design. Um, she is one of them. Yeah, with the weird like double bikini thing going on, and the gun, and the and the drinking, and it also seems to have the Danganronpa uh, appeal of who's going to die this week. Even though it yeah, seems the, like each the, week the, is going to take forever. Yeah, the show. Well, maybe it'll be one per episode now, but that'd be so fast. No, that's that's not the pace the show is going at. <laughs> yeah, there's no way this is finishing in twelve episodes. Okay, I, I think we kind of talked around it, but I want to reiterate that the reason this show is so stilted is because it's based on a light novel, and that's mm-hmm. why every every character just keeps on talking forever about the exact same things, and they keep repeating themselves. Yeah. I'm really disappointed because uh, Lursh as a studio did Gakogurashi, which I like as an, as an adaptation. So, And they also, um, um, a little anime called uh, Humanity Has Declined, which was also which was a light novel. So Gakogurashi was a, was a manga, so they could do more with it. Um, but Humanity Has Declined is actually an extremely good adaptation okay. of a light novel. So I thought that maybe they wouldn't I guess the source material is the is the reason why, because it, se- it seems like Lurch did the best they could to make this a success- successful product, and like the things that they were able to control seem to be what's making it popular. But the source material is just abysmal. Because like Lurch also handled like a, some pretty popular things recently. Yeah, like Rampo Katan, I think. Was that popular? They got Assassination Classroom. They've got all the Danganronpa animes. They got Monster Musume. That was popular. <laughs> that was very popular. They they have a track record, particularly of things that are like popular, and I think a lot of it because of its source material. But who, buddy? This this one. Um, I think that right now it's very popular because of the cross genre appeal, but its source material will probably cause people to stop watching it at some point. <laughs> And just read the books instead. Well, just no, no. The books aren't translated. And they probably never will well, be. Well, I sorry, I meant uh, for the the audience, uh, the the Japanese audience. Oh no, Japan's gonna eat this up. Okay. They don't know what pacing is. Yeah, we we'll never see them because light novels never get translated. Um, there is a translation of like the prologue, but it's really it's it's stalled right now. I looked it up because I wanted to see spoilers. I guess if it got popular enough based on the anime, it could be because like. Sort online and like, um, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in the dungeon? Got translations. They could bring this over. Overall, though, I like I I don't really have interest in it as a magical girl fan because it I've seen Shonen a million times. I I know what all this stuff is like. So like I I see like some of my friends on Twitter are who like are interested in the show because like they they're used to stuff like Precure. There's like whoa, mm-hmm. this is way different. But once that novelty wears off, that's really all it has. 
the singular powers seems like it's going to make it really hard to make interesting fight stuff going in later, too. Um, I've heard some stuff about the powers that they actually use it kind of like JoJo powers, where they uh, extend the meaning to be interesting. But I can't, like, even if they do it, they're good, they're good. Even if they do it, they're going to spend like five minutes explaining it. It's going to be, oh god. Right. It's it's going to be all the worst parts of what happens in like stand fights in JoJo's. It's going to be part three. And I love part three, but... Because like one of the big issues is like the main character's thing is like it can sense danger. And that's not... That doesn't help in a fight. That means everyone else gets to join in and she just gets to watch from the sidelines. Actually, Like um, the viewer. There is a way you can do that. You can use that. Like, I mean, like, what What if you're the danger, and you can always hear your opponent? I they guess wouldn't so. be able to get away. But it still doesn't, it doesn't make for, I guess it doesn't make for a, a good fight thing like the big sword does. And also, or like, the Shuriken, Snow, or Snow White kind of has the Madoka problem that she doesn't want to do this at all. She doesn't right. want to kill people. I think literally the end of episode four is like, I don't want to do she this anymore. She just wants to help people and, and collect candies. Right. Which, I mean, if she just does that, I mean, she wins, but that's not a... That that does not make uh, an exciting show. Not that this has been an exciting show regardless of that, but... It would... It, I feel like if they if it, if it was just a taste a little bit better, it might actually be okay, but... Oof. <sighs> it's rough. There, there are much better magical good anime to watch this season. Yeah, and, man, they they do... It's so, like... Some of the writing is super trite, because, like, it really lets you know who's gonna die each episode. <laughs> I mean, I almost feel like that's, like, that's, that's like, smoke screening it, because when I see it, I see, like, death flags on every character. <laughs> I don't know who's more obviously going to die that, that I guess, but it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, oh, you, you're gonna learn a lot about this character right in time for them to die, so you maybe feel bad. Oh, yeah, it has that problem, too. Because that's 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 what I'm talking about. Is like you get to learn a lot about the the dream girl right before she dies, and you get that weird like thing about ruler right before she dies. Uh, that one a little harder to tell. I think what's going to happen in that one, but still, it's like an out of place thing that leads to oh, okay, yeah. So we got her backstory just in time for her to die. I mean, we got we might as well mention the magical boy character because I feel like he's entirely constructed out of death flags. Okay. Yes. Like every single every single part of his personality. Like he's too knowledgeable about magical girls. He's he has a love interest. He's too nice. He's has an overpowered ability. He has someone he would die for. Like it's it's so obvious. Right. At some point, he's gonna have to sacrifice himself for the sake of Snow White. Like that's what ev- that's what everyone was calling after episode three. <laughs> It's gonna happen. It, it, there's no other way it could happen. If if it happens otherwise, I will be surprised and amazed. It's going to happen exactly how how a shonen show would do it because that's what this right. is. It's just it's just a shonen light novel. It really is just like, yeah, just also about magical girls. I guess maybe to bring in more of an audience. It doesn't really have that much magical girl stuff in it though. Like the first episode is where it ended. Like, no one's yeah. doing any magical girl shit now. Yeah, yeah. well, it's implied. No, I think I think only Snow White's doing it. You want to talk about something good, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's take a break from all this, the bad things this season and talk about something that definitely has, like, 
looks into darker themes going on, which is uh, Flip Flappers, which is the other big magical girl thing going on this season. There are like six good big magical girl things going on this season, but Flip Flappers is definitely the best. Let's, let's talk. Let's let's talk Flip Flappers. You want to start? You're you're the magical girl. Uh, well, yeah, I, I have a, I, I don't have that much info on it, but I can talk about the director. Uh, he um, is mostly known for working on Ghibli stuff. Oh, okay. Which which is like why, uh, and also that's the style of storytelling, which is why the first two episodes of Flip Flappers are more like exploratory, kind of like how Ghibli films yeah. usually are. There's a lot. There's a, not a lot of explanation going on in the series. I feel like the it doesn't need that much explanation because the themes of it are so strong, and a lot of the like metaphors are pretty, pretty obvious. Oh sure, sure. Like, come on. The first the first episode is they they go to. Uh, we should explain the actual premise first. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to go with that one or? Uh, girl meets girl, they go on magic adventures. Basically, yeah. There's a lot of other stuff involved that they may explain. They may explain later. And specifically, they go on magical adventures in a different world. Um, yeah, a world called Pure Illusion that they get in, that they go into by by um portals. It's not clear whether it's like a different place or a, a parallel universe. It's probably a parallel universe. Yeah, that's always that's the implication I got from the preview stuff, but the preview stuff says very little about it. So yeah, um, I feel like some of the themes are pretty evident, though. It's it's definitely more interesting exploring themes than really like explaining its world ahead of time. It kind of thrusts you into it, and you start to piecing stuff together. More so, I, I really like this the amount of. Like stuff that, that that's just there for you to discover in flip flappers, though. Like they they don't really need to explain mm. that much. They like they'll explain it at their own pace. But I really like how in the first two episodes, like they had the whole pure illusion thing. And in the first episode, they had like this huge this huge like snow world kind of like that was almost desolate and cold. But um, when okay, the main characters are Kokona and Papika. <laughs> yes. Uh... And Papika is the one who is, I guess, the seasoned magical girl. We're, we don't really know what Papika's deal is. I don't think she's human. And Kokona is uh, your typical high school girl who has no... Um, direction Has life. no sense of where she wants... Yeah, no direction in life. No sense of where she wants to go. So in the first episode, they have this, like, why this cold expanse of snow. But when Papika starts eating it, of course, as you do, is she finds out that it's uh, sweet on the inside. Kind of like mm -hmm. a certain character. Oh. And in the second episode, they go to they go to the uh, visit a pure illusion that's um that's very colorful and undefined. It seems it seems very Alice in Wonderland esque or adjacent. Yeah, it's, it definitely has that um, theme to it. But also, you have to remember that they got sucked into a vacuum cleaner. Right. So, sure. so they're dust bunnies. Oh, that's why the place they're in is so that's dirty, the, and that's, that's why the they joke. went to okay. a large metal container that spun them around. Oh, oh, wow! I legit did not even so, like, think about that. There's a lot of stuff like that under the surface, but it's, it's it's only like just barely under the surface. If you think a little bit about it, you can see all this crazy shit happening. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I don't even want explanations for like some of the more boring aspects. Um, but in episode three, that's where they really. 
in episode three, that's where they really got like the more conventional stuff. Mm-hmm. But they did it in, in a really uh, crazy way that is getting very noticed. You say conventional, a lot of stuff happens in there that's conventional to a lot of different like series and shows. Yeah, conventional is the only word I can think to describe it. <laughs> it's it's certainly the most, I guess, direct. Um, maybe a eclectic. Because they introduce, they definitely introduce. Maybe two villains. Um, so basically what they do in the third episode is they do a Mad Max and Gurren Lagann style thing at the same time <laughs> as they do a Precure pastiche. pastiche. <laughs> they're, they're definitely doing a lot. And it, if nothing else, like, Flip Flappers is a very, like, visually, like, standout show. Like, it's colorful, it's colorful and vibrant without being overbearing, but just all of it is so full of life. I really love the stuff they do with like color matching and like gradual color change. Like you can see, like yeah. if, you, if you look for it, you can see like colors change really subtly. And also, like in episode two, like the colors would were just like any time the shot changed, they were a different color. Um, and also during the whole like precure scene, because that that was entirely a precure scene. Yeah, there's that, and then there's like the cannon stuff that's very like vibrant and colorful. Yeah, they, they they know how to do the turquoise orange <laughs> movie poster stuff. Yeah, and like comparing it to the other two shows from this season, I guess, to kind of bring it back to this discussion, you see sort of this very like washed out sort of thing going on. Especially in like um Magical Girl Raising Project where it takes place so much at night. Like, it's a lot of washed-out colors. It's not as visually exciting as something like Flip Flappers, which... Well, they're also a lot more constrained by the story that they're in, while Flip Flappers is just doing whatever the hell they want. I guess so. Yeah, Flip Flappers is an original thing, so they can just be like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, and also, uh, Wick- Wickross just looks like garbage. Overall. Wickross, I just hear, yeah, like, production does not is not uh, up there. But there's hints at all kinds of sort of, like, darker things going on in uh, Flip Floppers that haven't been really, like, explored yet. And I think that's that's cool because it gives you something to look forward to as, like, an explanation of kind of what the hell's going on. Um, one element of Flip Floppers that I think is... I, I'm, I'm not... Some people are criticizing it for this, but I think it's doing it intentionally. Things involving Kokona's memory are not consistent. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the first episode, like they get kidnapped by robots, and in the start of the second episode, she just wakes up. Do they both get kidnapped by robots at the start? I thought it was just Papika. Something happens, but Kokona doesn't doesn't remember anything about it. Is the important, or at thing. least they never bring it up again. <laughs> yeah, and also her glasses were broken in the first episode, but she doesn't. They're they're fixed in the second one, and also mm-hmm. I don't. She doesn't need the glasses. She she's reading without them. She she only wears them in like really weird moments. And they really clearly like have the characters go like, "Hey, we did that first adventure." So like it definitely happened. Like it it's not just oh it was a dream. Um, I noticed in the third episode, um, like when they do the whole precure thing, where they just do the whole magical girl transformation and then they pose and they say their lines. She does that completely off the, off the cuff. She doesn't even think it's weird that this is the first time they transformed, and they say the like a, a two minute long speech. Didn't she? She sort of transformed episode one, but not in the same way. No, this this is a completely new transformation, and she acts like she's done it all along. Like I think there's something mm-hmm. 
up with Kokono's memory that's going to get explored. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and definitely again, like there's there's a lot of stuff that's sort of like seems like it's going to be darker when they start to explore it, but it still makes itself very vibrant, very fun at the same time. I guess more in line with something like the stuff we talked about pre-Madoka. Mm-hmm. Something I feel that is a major criticism of this show is that it feels like it doesn't want to be understood, but I feel like it's the opposite. Like they're they're throwing tons of hints at us. Like they they they're they're giving it to, they're giving us substance. And just just because we don't know what it is now doesn't mean that they're like they're setting up stuff that can be explained later. Yeah, it's hard to say right now that they're they just don't want us to understand because they're setting a lot of stuff up and don't feel the need to you know take an entire episode to explain what's going on. Like we still get the bits and pieces of it to kind of move us forward, but presumably things will be explained before the end. Hopefully. But it's, it doesn't feel like it's one of those shows where it's just doing shit to do shit. Like, it feels like they're definitely, like, still trying to set up these things so you keep going, oh, I wonder what's happening with this, and as they go forward, you start to figure out, oh, you know, this is what's happening. Flip Flappers is definitely my favorite show of the season. It's good. It's good. It, it, it's just, it, I think it's interesting how, like, the third episode had, like, had, like less kid-friendly elements. Like, I, I know some people who, like, only watch Precure that got turned off by this episode. But it was a little it also, weird. I think. But it also showed that it really respects Precure. It showed that like it that the kind of really conventional magical girl stuff, like it knows how important it is, and it mm. showed that in the in the future it's going to keep doing more Precure inspired stuff like that, just like just like the the real conventional magical girl stuff. I do think some of the like pseudo kind of sexual stuff that they do is a little weird. But other than that, it yeah, it feels, I don't know, it feels like it very much, like, is excited about what it's doing. Like, it, you know, it's excited about all the things that it plays with as I a know, series. I, 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 saw, I saw those, like, more adult elements, too, but I thought it was interesting how, like, when they weren't doing anything that conventional before, they decided to go for both ends of the spectrum at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it showed that, like, even though it's doing, a, it's, it is a more adult show, it's extremely aware of its roots. Yeah. So, like, when it's when it's saying that, like, it's it's confusing and you don't know where it's going, like, it knows exactly where it's going. It it knows exactly where it came from. It's not like overtly adult. Like the the stuff they do is very kind of subdued for what you'd expect out of something like this. I think. So it's not like inappropriate. I think this is just for this episode. They were trying to kind of like they were doing. Like they were doing Mad Max. It contrasts That's not... a lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, they were doing a lot of things, but yes, Mad Max is one of them. Yeah, they also had, like, you know, the Shonen stuff of, like, random commentary from Piccolo. Yeah, they had some They had some real, like, DBZ-ass stuff going on. And then some Gurren Lagann with the guns, and then... And then they the, like, just weird big space monsters. Like, it's got all kinds of stuff going on. Compared to Raising Project... <laughs> Where yeah, there's nothing going and on. This, and it's weird because, like, it takes all these things, and just just because they're very distinct and different doesn't mean that they, like, clash against each other. Like, it's just kind of everything just moves from one thing to another and just becomes, you know, kind of nuts. Um, the, the color matching in Flip Flappers is really, like, awesome. It's mm-hmm. Like, all the, all the colors and, like, all the time are so good, and they switch between them so quickly that it, it's, it's hard to appreciate it, but... 
And also, like... And it's used with... It's used with a lot of contrast, which is good. And also, one other series that got, that has color matching down to to an art form is Pretty Cure. Mm-hmm. They've done that like, white and black for like a million seasons. Mm-hmm. I I just like I feel like people think the show is like inscrutable, but it's showing its it's showing its uh, inspirations and like its roots so clearly. That I wonder what they're really talking mm. about, because like the plot details, like I, I, I'm not really waiting for them. Like the plot details can, will come when they come. And also, it feels like it's still its own distinct thing, even though it's very clearly rooted in sort of these these tropes. It's very, it's a very interesting show, and I really want to see the rest of it. Yeah, it's it's very cool, and I'm kind of actually surprised how much I've been digging it, because like I do, I I'm not like person who doesn't just like goes to a genre and says I can't like this but a lot of magical girl stuff just kind of doesn't resonate with me but this one like there's just a lot going on that's very neat most of the, most of the shows I mentioned this this episode are very bad mm-hmm. but you know they're important in one way or another or at least interesting um, I think the um, dark elements in magical girl anime is actually something that you see a lot like I, I didn't mention them because most of the time they're pretty lighthearted shows, but uh-huh. because you have like they spend so much time on the the emotional connection, they spend so much time like talk like being a very emotional um, series that the dark the darker parts resonate a lot more than like a edgy show that doesn't that doesn't spend as much time like adapting its characters. Yeah, I guess one of the things that maybe makes things... Like, when I think about the shows I think about when I think Madoka Rebob, it's, it's it always feels kind of exploitative, I guess? In that it really wants to make you feel without always putting in the effort to do it. Yeah, Like something like, like Magical Girl Raising Project, or... I would I would say Wickross. I would say the new Wickross season, actually, because, like, they, they, they have, like, one episode, and they try to, like, make a character so, like, oh, her life is so bad... She like all everything is going bad for her, but it's like you. We only like see like a montage. Yeah, it's definitely easy to look at shows with sort of exploited themes and go, "Uh, that's because of Madoka." But it's such a weird thing thinking about it now because I've done it. Everyone's done it. Everyone in anime has done this sort of thing where they go, "Uh, this is cribbing off Madoka." But it's like I think people just now cognizant of sort of that particular type of thing, it becomes more scrutinized when people give cursory glances to other shows. The main thing I want to stress from this episode is that they did not make that many Dark Magical Girls at all. Like, what we have from this season is, like, more than we've ever had. At the same time, yeah. Like, they didn't make that many of these shows, you guys. There's, like, one. (laughs) Maybe two. Like there wasn't like a huge, uh, huge like attempt to re- to uh, c- to build off of Madoka's success. That was just the movies. That's all we got. And you pointed out there was that Crunchyroll think piece that like was talking about how Madoka inspired so much stuff. Like during the exact same time that Daybreak Illusion premiered. No, it was like five months before. Oh, jeez! None. But that it wasn't year. even made yet. So, yeah, it's, there. there's this, I guess there is this sort of, like, feeling that maybe just we've become more 
aware of maybe darker themes, and we blame Madoka for it because that's the big point of reference we have. Actually, it's because at least recently, it's because Madoka's a meme. the 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 idea that Madoka influenced anime that much is that it's a meme. Pe- people just like think, "Oh, this is obviously Madoka's fault." But again, like the the real meme, not like the internet memes. No, I mean a a social trend that doesn't actually exist. It's just, uh, like with any concrete examples, it's passed discreetly from person to person by repeated by repeated saying. It, it it's it's a fucking meme. Right. My favorite show's a meme. Oh my god. I think you have to reconsider your life now. Yes. Um. One. Well, I'm sorry. One last thing I want to mention about like the idea of magical girls, like becoming like darker or doing like more adult stuff um i want to mention the example of uh, a very kids show uh ojamajo doremi um it's this like over 200 episode long show about about witches um just in a town and it like talks about every single character and like what the standout quality about the show is that like every single character has like grows like over the four years that the show runs and you like you really get a feeling for like who these people are. Um, but the thing that uh, Doremi does that's the most distinctive is that it doesn't shy away from really serious topics. Like um, one character in particular, uh, Aiko, is she comes from a broken family, and one another a theme of uh, Doremi is that there aren't really sometimes there aren't easy solutions to problems, and magic is. Uh, doesn't really help you uh, solve okay. like these kinds of problems. Oh. Like she, in the first season, the most progress she makes with her with her divorced family is that she gets to meet her mom once. And like as like throughout the four years that the show goes on, like she she never really makes that much progress. She like she gets the she gets like her mom and dad closer together. She like she manages to avoid things in the way like she, but there's never an easy solution. And the reasons for the divorce were actually extremely good on both sides. I mean, they weren't like good reasons, but they were they they, and they made sense. Okay. Like both like both sides had had like reasons for for what they did. Um, and by the end of the show. Um. Aiko like almost manages to get her parents back together. Like her, her dad is about to propose to her mom, and then something, and then like um, her grandfather collapses, and then her, her parents start arguing. And like as she's watching, like the last four years of what she's been trying to do just collapse around her. Like I, I feel like that's really what dark magical girl is like. Okay. And there's even stuff in, like, Precure, I believe, that you've talked about that's kind of, at least definitely on that darker side, like the one where they kill the concept of moms. Oh, yeah, that was incredibly dark. They killed the concept of burgers. Oh, wait, what? I thought it was moms. Bur- it was both. Wait, no, that's even burgers worse. Burgers and moms didn't exist. That's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> there's never been a darker moment in Magic Lord than that. Aren't there other ones that... From that series? Sorry, I mean Glitter Force, not Smile Precure. Yeah, Glitter Force. You know, on Wikipedia, it actually does do Glitter Force first now, instead of Smile Precure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's done that ever since Glitter Force existed, because of God. Wikipedia's rules. 
I thought there was some other stuff from Smile that was kind of on that end, like relatives dying and things like that. Yeah, so Raising Project's garbage. Don't watch it. <laughs> That's what... Look, we've we've talked a lot, I just think, especially in the last ten minutes, very good about this th- this topic. But really, the mainstay is please do not watch Magical Girl Raising Project. Or do. Whatever. Look, just say that we warned you ahead of time if you end up not liking it. You can't trace this back to us. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the very spooky episode of the first annual uh, Coco Disaster uh, Halloween Spooktacular. I was very scared. Yeah, with me, Chorpsway. Um, I'm QB. Still. Yeah, and uh, we hope you have a safe Halloween, first of all. Uh, enjoy it. Cosplay to your heart's desire. Get lots of candy. That's the cool part. And then, uh, join us next time when we go back to our regularly scheduled mid-season show, probably, unless uh, timing works out that the other bonus episode I have planned comes out. Anyways, see you guys next time. Later. I need to work on a better send-off. Yeah, probably. That was a coca disaster. (laughs) Thank you. That was the good one.